This episode is brought to you by Liquid IV. Guys, if you don't know what Liquid IV is, well, buckle up because I'm going to throw you a game changer. Liquid IV is a hydration multiplier that not only tastes great, but is a non-GMO electric light drink mix. Powered by cellular transport technology to deliver hydration to the body faster and more efficiently than water can just do alone. One stick contains three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks with five essential vitamins. Now, I pride myself on telling you about things that I either already like or just use in my everyday life. And I have to say, I've actually been a fan of Liquid IV for a long, long time now. I use it for everything from, you know, just long runs to stay in shape, all those late nights with those after hours or just when I'm feeling a little dehydrated. I turned to it so it could just, my God, set me straight, make me feel like a million bucks again, and just get me ready for the day. So please head on over to their website. That's liquid-iv.com to check out their amazing line of products. And get this, when you use promo code Art of the Beholder, all one word, you'll get 20% off your order. Now, if you need a little direction on where to start, I recommend Lemon Lime. Guys, you're going to love it, won't be disappointed. So please give it a shot and get more fuel for life's adventures. Now, back to the show. Greetings and salutations, all you beautiful people, and welcome to another episode of Art of the Beholder, a show dedicated to all things eclectic in the world of art, where we do deep dives into deep cuts and help you understand why damn things matter. I'm your host, Novo Day, and today we're going to be discussing art and music, traditional art, visual art, everything in between outside by discussing the legacy that is Brian Eno. Of course, to hash it out, I am again joined by one of our executive contributors, the only ambient artwork you will ever need, and that is Mr. Theodore T. Buck. Welcome, Buck. Thank you. Um, in my contract next year, we're gonna we're gonna tweak the uh, titles a little bit. Need so to wait. Well, you, you, you originally told me to take it from uh, top contributor to executive contributor. What what do you want to be called now? Executive exclusive senior. executive exclusive senior yeah oh i like that i like that but i'm not just yeah hey i i i'm just gonna ask right out of the bag are you are you you doing a new sexy voice i am okay um we need to address the elephant in the room my voice sounds a little different because buck you know me i'm I'm a method actor at the end of the day, right? I put Mm -hmm. my heart, my soul, everything into the role. And I knew today, talking about Brian Eno, the godfather of ambient music, I wanted my voice to really uh, mirror the timbre of that kind Uh, of music. That explains your your look today, too, because you you (laughs) went for the full, like, androgynous, like, 1970s. uh, I I didn't want to brag. I didn't want to brag. But I I knew you'd probably bring it up. I knew it was going to yeah. be the elephant. Well, um, you, you just said you came in and you said, don't ask me any questions. No, <laughs> this is how it goes. Pre, All right. Pre, tell the good people. Pre, tell them. Pre, pre, pre-radio show. Nova walks in. He's okay. got like his whole crew. He's got like people handing him, you know, his cappuccino or his latte, whatever he's drinking. He's pushing people away. And he, I say, hey, buddy, how's it going? He, he just one finger up to the one finger up. Doesn't let me speak. Gets in the character and then uh, he says, "Okay, you're you're allowed to. <laughs> Pro- you're allowed to proceed. Me. Proceed. proceed. 
So. Yes. Well, I wanted, yes, I wanted uh, my vocal timbre to be a little deeper, be a little raspier, mm. kind of a drone, if you will, much like ambient music. And nice. I think I pulled it off quite nicely. I think, I think so. You yeah, did. I threw, I threw my voice out through a lot of gymnastics, vocal gymnastics is what, what we call it in the industry. I don't want to brag again, but okay. um, yeah, I had to, I had to throw it out a little bit of its normal range. And here we are, here we are. There you go. Well, I like it. I think it's going to be fun for the. F- yeah, you know, it does sound a little sexier, right? A little raspy. Yeah, it's a little like uh, went from drone. six to midnight in here. What's going on, <laughs> ladies? The ladies love it. <laughs> well, let's pull it back. Uh, so Brian Eno, no one mm. else has shaped modern music and arguably the art world itself quite like brian eno has now at his core brian is just really an artist he kind of does a little of everything right and he has always always been ahead of his time whereas his innovation and resulting influence is almost legendary at this point in his career because his approach his artistry and his forward thinking always thinking outside the box has changed art in and of itself in terms of what can be considered art, music, and everything outside and in between. He created ambient music. Yeah, yes, of course. That's what he did. Before we can discuss, of course, we need a little background. Often considered the godfather of ambient music, just like Buck said, Brian Peter George St. John La Batiste de la Sala Eno, or simply Brian Eno. Thank you. I was actually, I was, okay, I'm sorry to butt in. If you no, no, would not, if you did not go through his full name, I was actually going to make you stop and go back and repeat it. I'm, I'm method It is today. the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life, <laughs> and I love it. I think it's, I think uh, it's this is what, from his this is what I want all, background, I'm, and it was like his, um, the name he chose, or yeah. someone chose for him as he was being, um, I forgot the word, but uh, initiated into the to the next hierarchy of his religion, I think, was the background there. Oh, uh, okay. See, yeah. see, this is what it reminded me of, is on Reddit, people will put like pictures of their puppy and they say top comment where is this going well it's going somewhere it'll say top comment names my dog and there was one the other day and it was like emperor valerius of like rotting ham like just like eight names for one dog and they oh, fuck it. well that's uh you that's know, what i'm going to name my children i'm going to give them like 10 your names, stage like name has like five or six names wow that's it's been earned do you remember all of them i'll it's, put you on the spot uh, i like to make them squirm theodore leopold it's saint augustus jackson <laughs> it's saint augustus thank saint jackson. augustus <laughs> leopold theodore buck the, the buck yeah Something like that. I don't know. We'll have to go back to one of our okay. other shows to yeah, pull it out of our ass. Historians again. that listen to this tell yeah, us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tweet at us. So Brian Eno was born on May 15th, 1948 in Melton, Suffolk, England. He studied painting and, no surprise, experimental music at the Art School of Ipswich Civic Another College in the 60s. Of course. Oh, my God. Those British names. I love those names. And then after the Civic College, he went to the Winchester School of Art. He joined Roxy Music, you may not have known that, in 1971 before moving on to do a number, a large Jesus Christ book, a large number of solo work collaborations and a great deal of music production working with literally fucking everyone from robert fripp that's robert fripp of king crimson fame 
David Byrne and David Byrne with the Talking Heads to Devo to U2 to even Coldplay, Damon Albarn, and of course, most famously, David Bowie. We don't have time. Uh, we were talking about this before the show kicked off. We don't have time to talk about literally all those goddamn collabs. Look it up for yourself. We're going to focus just on Brian Eno. Probably the most famous is the Berlin Trilogy he did with David mm-hmm. Bowie. And we did a whole show on Bowie kind of talking about that particular time in his mm-hmm. career. But today it's a lot. I'm going to I'm going to touch on a little bit of his collabs, but mostly we're going to look at his his work with ambient music. Again, he is the godfather of ambient music. And Buck, I don't know if you knew this, but I thought someone else coined that term, like named his music as ambient music. No, he was the one. He called it ambient music from the beginning. Yeah, I I seen oh, I watched this documentary on him a long time ago and I saw that that came up. It's interesting too. I I, I think it it was associated too. He had some sort of injury or something where he had a bedridden. Yes. He was bed and- Oh yeah, or he was like, yeah, laying on the couch, like couldn't move, bedridden, something like that. And I think one of his monitors or speakers was blown and he could only listen to music a certain way. Yeah, it was real and, low. Yeah. Yeah, or something like that. Yeah, right. Low volume, maybe like something like that. Yeah. And he heard the music completely differently. He heard it kind of as this non structured piece. For uh before we hash it out, actually, you know what? For the people that don't know what ambient music is, Buck. Tell them what ambient music is. Oh, wow. And just thanks, a thanks simple for putting me on the spot. On well, here's here. Let me get you started. It's, no, I, it's I'm, I'm, I'll take at it. the heart of it. It's it's music that's minimal. Yes, it's a minimalistic it's, approach. Piggyback off of that. Yeah. No. Think. This is how I've always thought about ambient music. It's something in the background. It's not. It's something that it, you listen to, but it's not really coming out as like the focal point. It's something that plays in the background. It's you enjoy it. You. It's part of the atmosphere it's texture in my hands yes it's texture it doesn't have it doesn't have a lot of uh structure it can be the notes being played can be incredibly simple but what becomes complex is how they're layered on on top of each other and there can be oh my god endless from doing the research for this episode buck there can be endless fucking layers yeah but it could be like one note or just one chords changing maybe every few minutes because yeah. one piece can last up to an hour right oh or yeah longer if you like listen to like a spotify or youtube ambient music playlist you could probably be listening to the same song for yeah like you said 45 minutes to an hour exactly same not, sorry i should say same piece <laughs> not necessarily song um yes they are they are you have to look at them as compositions and not so much songs think of this as really interesting and good elevator music that doesn't make you fall asleep it's and it's warm. funny because because the titling for his pieces are much like that music for yeah. airports <laughs> music like for that. airports this is supposed to make you feel better in a busy airport terminal in the 70s which by the way i would take a busy airport terminal in the 70s over what we have today uh for those that frequent fly like i do and mm-hmm. you they didn't know how good they had it. oh my god oh my god jesus christ remember yeah. remember when you could just walk in you, you don't even have to have a ticket you could just go walk in have you a could wait drinks. for your family at the fucking at gate. the gate 
and you could you could sit there you could you could have a beer meet meet a stranger that was just kind of passing through buy them a drink you know one thing leads to another oh do you got a good story you're, you're, you're i feel taking, like this is going somewhere well it well, first i only knew this when i was basically a kid because when things changed i was 16 so yeah fuck. i don't know these yeah, things but you hear these like from these old timers talking about like <laughs> old timey people sometimes old I just drive out to the airport and go yeah. to the airport bar just to meet new faces <laughs> guys we're gonna let me do a pullback yeah let me do a pullback let me do let me do what novo does and pull this back so guys we're gonna take his career specifically now he did like i said in the intro he did a lot outside of music and i think at the heart soul of who he is is just an artist and but to really structure and frame his career we're gonna go through his discography top to bottom but before we hash it out of course a word from our sponsor this episode is brought to you by the novel the entropy sessions a tale of loss love and madness in our past present and future relationships with technology find it on amazon and as an audiobook through audible your support helps us continue our journey now back to the show so we first start with can, here can come the you? warm jets oh why Before oh yeah warm you got jets. something for me can I just say one thing? Do do if if you do yourself a favor before we get into solo work. I just want to mention that first Roxy music album. Um, it, it's not it, it. They don't have the 1971. Hits you know. Let's let's frame yeah, it. 1971. They they may not have the hits that you remember Roxy music for. This is always used too much. I always say <laughs> that everything was. Everybody says, well, this was way before its time. And I'm a person that uses this a lot. If you start with that Roxy Music album, you're already seeing blueprints for tons of different artists out there just that sound starting with that i think that's a perfect segue to yeah. his solo work and because, that's what yeah yeah i feel like i see a lot of dna in his mm -hmm. early work with that early bowie work don't yeah, you yeah oh oh yes definitely like if you listen to some of that in in that first roxy music i there's like little sounds little or like nuggets. little playoffs little nuts yeah that i've even heard in radiohead songs that i'm oh, like really oh, maybe that's where they got they were listening to this album and they're like oh no kind of sounds cool and that's just a specific example it's been other artists too that i've heard well we we wouldn't have had tree fingers if it wasn't for ambient yeah, music yeah we yeah. wouldn't have had selected volumes selected ambient works volume two by apex twin if we didn't have we Mr. have ghosts brian eno oh fuck oh fuck me ghosts yeah jeez oh yeah so let's 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 dive in here come yeah. the warm jets 1974 his four his first studio lp and what's great about it, I think, his early work is he bounces back from doing more of what has become traditional ambient works mm -hmm. to kind of just singer, songwriter, regular albums, right? And I, he kept kind of going back and forth. So it was fascinating to see which Brian Eno we would see in his work, right? In, in some of the, like the, his first two or three albums, you, you hear like, again, DNA or blueprints for like prog and prog Oh my rock. God, yes. But then you, like, you'll get a song every once in a while too. And you'll hear like, he definitely was influenced by the Beatles in this one. Like you can just hear like some of their later, later works. Like he was getting ideas. He was like, oh, I love of that you know they do say the only other artist that was probably more influential than the beatles at this time was brian Eno. um what's what's it. crazy about that is when so when i was i listened to his entire fucking discography i'm exhausted t-buck yeah what the very first album that is on spotify is no pussy footing which is a collab oh, with, with uh, him and robert fripp, fripp. 
from yeah. King Crimson again. And and it's just ambient music, basically. <laughs> it's ambient music. What yeah. what I love about him doing ambient work with other artists is it's just a little more structured than his solo pieces. And it usually comes off a little more digestible, honestly. You know, so I, I if you want to get into Brian Eno's ambient specific work and try to fall in love with something, don't shy away from the collab stuff, right? Yeah. You really have to digest all of it. Yeah. From there, he did Taking Tiger Mountain in 1974, and then another hallmark in his career, Another Green World, 1975. And we're starting to see him evolve right away, right? Yeah. And him figure out how he wants to create the sound, this world, these soundscapes. And then, of course, he does it, Again, in 1975 with Discrete Music, 1977's Before and After Science, 1978's Ambient One, Music for Airports, as we already joked about, Mm -hmm. 1978, Music for Films. And then when I feel like, okay, it took him about a decade, but he was like, I know how to fucking make this music. He, He... really i feel like he hit his his stride his breakthrough album in my opinion may have a different opinion but ambient 2 the plateau i think that's how you pronounce it the plateau of mirror and ambient 3 day of radiance 1980 i feel like he he made a significant leap in his ability to be a musician a composer and most importantly a producer yeah i I think I was just looking back through my playlist because, you know, Spotify, the great thing about it and this, they're not a sponsor or anything, but I will say <laughs> I, the one thing that they can be, this, though, we're, you know, just like in the video, we're waiting for a phone call, guy. Yeah, we're yeah, we're ready, we, we, we're ready for the spots. Come on. Guys. We're here to believe you. Um, <laughs> No, like I'm. And when we were pre- prepping for this, I was going through it. I was like, I always look through Spotify and I look through. Like when I'm we're doing these things, yeah. The songs that I've hit like on, and I remember like one of them is from Taking Tiger Mountain, yes. uh, Third Uncle. I remember listening to that, and it just came up on like a suggested song in one of my playlists. And I'm like, oh man, this sounds like a kind of like '80s kind of prog, early '80s prog rock thing. And I'm like, I even see, I even saw like Tool albums and some of that. Yeah, work, yeah. And I was like, know? man, man, this is. Like I was thinking it was like 80s, 90s, something like that. And then I looked, I was like, oh my God, that's Brian Eno. And yeah. I was like, which album is this from? And then I'm looking at it and I was like, it's 74. It's kind of like bands like Can or like some of the, you know, you listen to these like <laughs> these these artists and you're like, holy crap. And that's why I'm saying the blueprints were all there. The DNA is there. And it was it he truly was ahead of his time because you go through uh, an album like Taking Tiger Mountain and some of these earlier works. And you can tell these are it, these are like the 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 artists that we came to love, like we're sitting down and like just kind of chilling out and listening to this guy that they really admired that wasn't you know necessarily mainstream but they listen to this and they're like holy crap like this sounds kind of cool let me do my little variation on it and then it becomes like becomes its own thing what's what's crazy yeah just to piggyback off of that you see that in his career people gravitated towards him oh my god like he's one of those very unique artists that I couldn't really find a time. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Buck. I couldn't really find a time where he had a significant low point in his career where he was really struggling or it was hard for him to break through or break out because from the get-go, you know, this is a very small percentage of artists that can do this. From the get-go, from the birth of his career, he kind of was hitting gold 
left and right. I mean, at least he had enough success that he could keep going and going and going. He's never he stopped. Didn't, yeah. I mean, even to this day, and we'll talk about that later in the episode, but it's crazy to me how many people gravitated towards him. And this is probably why he he himself gravitated towards production work, because I think he himself was a fan of all these other musicians, too. Oh, he yeah. wanted to work with them. Yeah. And that and brings he... us to 1981's My mm-hmm. Life in the Bush of Ghosts, his collab yes. with David Byrne. It's an absolute <laughs> classic for us music connoisseurs, right? Yeah. And David Byrne's another guy that's. I mean, he's still doing stuff today and he's done collapse with a lot of artists. Utopia, American Utopia. Yeah. I mean, you talk about two legends and two giants like just coming together. And it's fun when you listen to that album because you could definitely hear Eno and Burns kind of influence in each one. Like you can. Oh, yeah. The meeting in the middle. This is where, you know, this is what David was really trying was pushing for. You can hear that sound just you know, because I'm a huge David Byrne fan and love his work. I mean, as am I. Mostly with Talking Heads, though. Yeah, with so, ta- yeah. solo work. Yeah. I I like a couple of his solo albums. Um, they're a little more abstract, but there's some stuff that I really do like out of it. But probably more than I don't think we've ever really talked about that. Now I think about it. We yeah, we haven't really done. We've talked David about Byrne. David Byrne a lot in our other shows. When we talk about other people, yeah. <laughs> One yeah. of these days, I think we're probably gonna do a full. I think it'll be a Talking Heads episode. I doubt it will be a full just David Byrne episode. I actually wanted, I'm glad you brought this up, Buck, because you probably didn't know why Brian Eno even got back on my radar. And it's because I was watching a fucking documentary about David Byrne, and he brought up Brian Eno, specifically one of my favorite Talking Heads songs of all time, which is off of Fear of Music Mm -hmm. uh, album, the album Fear of Music. And it's the very first track, Izimbra. Yep. And it's because they used it was the very first time they used that African, that African, you know, feel uh, a yeah. beat and African, you know, polyrhythmic style of music. And what I didn't know was that the lyrics is literal gibberish. I know we joke about that with like <laughs> <laughs> with li- because, yeah, it's from it's from it's based off of a poet, a poem from a poet based on complete absurdity. So it's just yeah. made up words and gibberish. And that was Brian Eno's idea. He's like, why don't we use let's let's marry these two things, a poem of ab- absurdity and polyrhythms, you know, in the vein of Philacuti. And that's what Izimbra is. I didn't know that. And but that's interesting. And sorry, going on a little tangent corner here. No, no, go. No, no, no. You, give you, it to me. You, this other artists have done something like this too. And like what what I I think we may have talked about this before. I can't remember, but probably when people were hearing that, like for the first time, they were like trying to find the meaning and all that gibberish and like was like, oh, maybe this is like some language or something like that. One of my favorite examples of that was Chris Cornell when he was taught he was being interviewed um, when he was with. Let's Soundgarden. frame it, Chris Cornell of Soundgarden. Soundgarden, fame. yeah, Soundgarden fame, and they they had their biggest hit, and it was Black Hole Sun. Oh, that one of my really kind of yeah, it's a great song. It I mean for a '90s kid, a real '90s kid. Okay, you kids that were born in the night like '90s, like late '90s, are like 90s. they didn't grow up in the '90s. You did they not grew, grow, they grew up, up in the, in the aughts. Okay. I I was born in the early part of the 80s. I can kind of say that I I lived a little bit in the late 80s, but no. Okay, I was more no, in the no. 90s. Yeah, it was it was 90s for yeah, sure. I I you know, if I can't remember games that were played <laughs> anyway. Okay, so back to this, but Chris Cornell was being interviewed by MTV and uh this the guy was I can't it, it's that bald guy. 
that used to do all the rock interviews on MTV. I can't remember. Oh my god, I know, you know who I know I'm exactly about? who you're talking about, uh, but I can't think of his. I, I can't think of his name right now. Yeah, he did but like he, 120 minutes, like that show. Yeah, this was the good old days of MTV when it was just music. But um, he asked Chris Cornell, "It's like, man, that the lyrics to Black Hole Sun." really spoke to me what did it what what do they mean like what is it all about what is it all yeah it's like what <laughs> is it all about and chris cordell's like i don't know i just kind of put some words together <laughs> <laughs> you can just kind of see like him like being kind of like slowly like being crushed and like crushed oh and god died. like he's dying inside yeah. And, yeah and who knows maybe chris cornell really did and he's just kind of you know dicking around with i him, think but. a lot of musicians do do that though they don't oh, yeah. exactly have this huge deep meaning behind the lyrics sometimes they're just trying to put something that sounds good to the music or something that works and yeah it means something that's the thing about art right we talk about this all the time in our episodes yeah. it it's open to interpretation it's subjective it can mean something to you that it doesn't mean to even the artist and yeah. that's what's why it's so powerful right yeah um so let, let's pull it back Let's do a Novo pullback into 1982's Ambient 4 on land, 1983's Apollo Atmospheres and Soundtracks. This was, I highlighted some things in our in our outline that really spoke to me, and Apollo was one of them, and definitely 1983's More Music for Films. This is him mm-hmm. giving mundane titling again. Music for, music for airports. Music for do films. Think, do you think that was influenced, like, exit music for a film is when the first thing that popped up in my head, but... Some are like Radiohead, like they're. I I actually know that Radiohead lore. So they were commissioned okay. to make they're commissioned to make music, more music for Romeo and Juliet. Was it Romeo and Juliet? Leonardo yeah. DiCaprio one, and um, that literally was supposed to be the exit music for that oh, film. Okay. And okay. and then they just never they just they never, never used it. They never used it. Kind of like Spectre, you know. That was they like were commissioned their... to make Spectre, yeah, or the 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 title sequence, the music for the title sequence of Spectre, and it was never used, even yeah. though it fucking should. It was much better. Yeah, sorry. No. Anyways, let's it pull it back. Yeah, it definitely should have. So let's pull it back in 1984. The Pearl. 1985 is Thursday afternoon. And then another one I highlighted that really fucking spoke to me was 1992's NerveNet. Now, this was when Brian Eno and and company started to get a little more electronic, a little more electronica with the sound. And this specifically spoke to me because we grew up with me and Buck grew up with a lot of drum and bass. And we we have it has a soft spot in our hearts. Right. I don't I don't I think it's it's kind of the the seed that is edm now right yeah it, it, yes it, it definitely no. is the, well yeah no yeah i i think so I, I when i think of drum and bass especially in the 90s i for some reason i think of hackers the oh my god i love i fucking love hackers we were talking about this this summer yeah we were talking about this in a different with, show with, were we well i think either at a different show but for sure we were talking about it at we won't we, name the event but our our producer's wife or, yeah our producer's, <laughs> our producer's wife clay our producer wife. clay naderson's wife is a few fucking huge hackers fan too hackers, and we're, yeah, the, we're having some drinks and we, we started talking about yeah. the soundtrack right um I, well my drum and bass well i think of the bowie era 90 90s era Bowie had a drum and bass album and uh of course Aphex Twin mm-hmm. and the modern oh, yeah, version of that Bowie, is Jojo yeah. Mayer. Are you familiar with the drummer Jojo Mayer? Yes. Yeah. Well Jojo Mayer has a band called Just Nerf and it, it yeah, may, I don't yeah. I don't know the lore I, there. It could I, be I it could know, be yeah. named after Nerfnet. 
and it's a it's a trio piece and they do live instrument cuts to recreate electronic sounding drum and bass tunes but they do it live and, they, and oh, it sounds cool. perfect yeah oh yeah. my god if we ever get a chance buck if we ever get a chance to see fucking nerve somewhere we're going uh but let's pull it back 1992's yeah. the shootov Shutov Assembly really spoke to me too. Um, I highlighted that one. And then there was a lot that didn't speak to me, so I'm going to go through it kind of quick. And that's 1993's Nerali, 1994's Head Candy. And then I have to, I made a note about this, I have to talk about the thing that I think his, his, his contribution that touched literally all of us. And that is, a lot of people don't know this, but the Windows 95 startup theme is written by Brian Eno. Did you know that? I did. And I had to literally listen called to the Microsoft Sound in 1994. For that, when you were that age and we were dawn of, you know, what we know as the internet today, that sound got me excited because I was. I, I, like, you want to hear my impression? Yeah. It's got to be probably hard with my timber being so deep, but here we go. Dum da da yeah. uh, Just that boom brum. You know that startup. I feel like when I hear that, yeah. you can, of course, anybody listening. If you grew up in the '90s, <laughs> do yourself a fucking nostalgia favor and just YouTube that sound. It's like six seconds, and I literally your entire childhood will flash before your goddamn eyes. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I just started having like flashbacks of playing like um, Command and Conquer and all these like computer games like Rainbow Six and Diablo, Diablo, um, Starcraft. Like I was really in the RTS stuff back then. The Dune RTSs, they're all done by a lot of the same. People. He he wrote the original 1984 Doom theme with yes, Toto. Yes, with Toto. <laughs> 1984. Yeah, I forgot I about skipped that over that. But that. since you said Dune, I was like, oh yeah, he did that too. I, so I Brian that Eno movie has, you know, like this is we talk about this really. a lot. Brian Eno is another artist that has touched all of our lives, and you probably didn't even know it. Yeah, yeah, that like was you know his thing. work, but you don't know always know his name. Kind of. Yeah, thing. it's like a. Um, I was that was one of the points I wanted to bring up is you've if you don't know his name, you've heard or you've been touched. You've yeah. been touched by his work, by his sure. work. And that yeah. is pretty cool when like that's why we're saying it's an he's an important person and important. Artist oh, my God. Arguably I mean, the most influential artist for. Oh, for modern music and mar- at least modern 40 years. 40 art forms. Plus. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. In uh, 1997, we have The Drop. And, and then in 2005, we have Another Day on Earth. And then I had to do another collab mention, 2008's Everything That Happens Will Happen Today. Another collab with David Byrne. And re-listening to this, God, it's just when these two guys get together, it's like magic. Yeah. And fuck me. Um, <laughs> 2010. You know it. It's just so you can go like when you know it, you know it. Yeah, when you know it, it's love. That's right, love. Now I'm a big John Hopkins fan, and so I was really delighted to see that he had a collab with Brian Eno in 2010 called "Small Craft on a Milk Sea." Also with I should note this with Leo Abrams. It wasn't just John John Hopkins and Brian Eno. 
Oh my God. Talk about, you know how I said there's an evolution to his sound and how ambient music was crafted and created. And it kind of started to push into a little more electronica, a little more techno, a little more house. There was a little more dancey essence to it. And small craft on a milk sea, it definitely has that. Yeah. This is, we're getting into a time where I, I'll be honest with you. I kind of fell off the map with Brian, you know, um, as I got older, um, because a lot of these things, they sound really interesting. And when we were researching for this, when you brought up the topic, I was like, I had no idea how much work he was doing. And I've listened to bits and pieces of other things that he's done. But man, you talk about a guy that I, just I, never I, stops. He, like he's, he I feel like he's just always in the studio. It, it, yeah. And that's probably it. I mean, but you look at a lot of these famous. Another guy, I think Rick Rubin. Um, oh, how many? Jesus how many? Uh, different albums i started with the beastie boys and just yeah i was watching like his beard just got longer and his hair got longer (laughs) and he just kept staying in the studio well there was some there was some video maybe it was on tiktok or something where it was an old video of him with working with red hot chili peppers and he was working with flea on the baseline to give it away um give it away give it away give it away now that one yeah and he's telling him like dude just kind of do a like simplify it a little bit more and like Flea was kind of doing a little bit more work, and then it, it, he basically helped him write that baseline right there. Uh, I always talk about that certain produ- pr- producers specifically are like horse whispers, but for musicians. Yeah, and Rick Rubin is one of them, and Brian Eno is one of them. Yeah, uh, I I think I'm getting my voice back just from I, I feel like this has been healthy. Um, so I You're think this is a up. perfect segue to uh, if if for if there's any other bucks out there that kind of fell off the 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 Brian Eno musical wagon, check out 2012's Lux. It's just a purely ambient piece piece of music. You know, it's like four pieces or something like that. But it's it's ambient music to perfection. You know, you can really see how I think obviously he not only changed as a musician and his his ability to write and craft, but you can tell that the production equipment really evolved. You know, yeah. it got, you know, better. Luckily for him, I think he's a little old school in how he approaches recording music. Uh, one could argue that it has actually gotten better to a fault. Like music, mm-hmm. in my humble opinion, is almost too perfect. It's now. it's almost overproduced, and it's, well, it's I mean, overproduced. it is overproduced. We can just say it. Well, I, I mean, but I don't I don't feel that way with still hearing his work. No, and I'm era. not saying his stuff, but I mean, it's it's like you know, auto tune. If you've watched that latest oh, God, Netflix yeah, exactly. documentary about music, I can't remember what it's called, but you know, what, what was in a record executive said he loved it because now they don't have to find a, a, a good looking, fantastic singer, but also talented. A, yeah. Yeah. They can just, they find just have a good to find that first person. part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like, um, yeah. And that, you know, there's even some of our artists that we love that always get that rap of being overproduced and stuff. But I always see kind of like, what when you're saying with the technology well i don't think there's let me let me let me interrupt for just one second i don't think there's i don't think it's a bad thing to be quote unquote overproduced there's a there's a thin line and there's a big yeah. but there's a big difference between a lot of meticulous editing and producing yeah. and just using it like a crutch and cheating and making everything perfect putting it on a grid uh massive attack i think is the gold standard for musicians that are perfectionists in the studio and in production but what they do with it is is still spellbinding you know it still breathes yeah. and you can if you really look for it you know you can always hear mistakes or things speeding up or slowing down very very subtly but mm-hmm. um but a a smart musician will leave that in because it it creates 
an organic realness to it where yeah. everything, if everything's put on this pro tools grid and everything's so perfect, it just sounds like a robot doing it. Right. Yeah. And and now you can do that a lot quicker with all these things. And like somebody like Brian Wilson, like kind of went crazy over from it. beach like, boys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, geez. you know, you know, doing the smile sessions, I mean, in, in some of the pet sound stuff, you know, he was infamous for like, taking hundreds of takes well and uh, you know what comes to mind right now on the spot is dr dre he you know as as much as he's had his fingers in a million different pots my fun fact about him is you know if you ask someone how many dr dre albums are there you know just dr dre not his collab with eminem or snoop dogg or whoever Mm -hmm. uh just there's only three three yeah (laughs) and his like 30 or 40 year career he has like three albums the chronic chronic 2001 and, and then that uh, one that was on I think apple it, only or beats music i think well i think it was a sound the soundtrack to uh straight out of compton was it was it the, yeah yeah something like that but yeah the point is is there's like an incredibly small number because these guys are perfectionists and if it's not literally perfect to their standards and their eyes they don't even put it out I mean, can you think about how many, how much stuff that's probably in his vault that we've never even heard? Oh yeah, and I mean, you could even for hip hop. I mean, he's probably somewhat of a Brian Brian Eno esque kind of producer. Um, just yeah, because, he's a horse whisperer for musicians. <laughs> yeah, like if you look at like some of his early stuff, like I want to call it world. I always get it wrong. I want to say it's called it's worldwide wrecking crew i don't don't know i'm not yeah it's like the first group he was with and they have a song about him called dr dre dr dre (laughs) and um you know and he was like in like flashy clothes at the time and you know while he was doing that stuff on the side he was working you know with kind of starting help move the gangsta uh rap movement um yeah god we can talk about that all day yeah west coast sound that i mean is iconic Oh my god, iconic. Yes. Yeah. Let me uh let me pull it back or we're just gonna the rest of the show is just gonna be about Dr. Dre and his influence on music, which is huge. And we should talk about it one day, but we gotta focus on Brian Eno today. 2016's The Ship and 2017's Reflection. Now, this is most of his main solo studio works. But what was it? World class wrecking crew. That's okay. what I said I always mess. We need to up. correct ourselves. I could tell if Buck didn't was, look it up and tell us. He was yeah. gonna he was gonna drive him crazy, right? Yeah. So um I did I did sprinkle in a couple of collaborations in there, and I left out some ambient installation albums that we're gonna talk about a little later. So there is a lot more in between there. It's just we don't have the time to talk about everything today. So I want to move on into some of his what I call his artistic focuses. The first one is very famously. His, I would say, obsession, right, Buck, with generative music. Yeah. If you don't know what generative music is, it's music that can be created essentially by itself. Mm-hmm. Ever-changing kind of music Never that the is, same. is created by a system, usually that system being, you know, like computer software. Yeah. Music that could make itself, essentially. Generative Music 1 was made in 1996. Eno did a collaboration, no surprise, with uh, a software system developed by the SS. E-Y-O Cohen team. And from there, he has done a number of these. You can look it up for yourself. Some are, some go on for hours, some go on for days. And then I think he's actually made systems that go on for months, years, and that even can be listened to. And you'll never hear it the same way twice in an entire lifetime. And sometimes for 
I think forever, essentially, right? Yeah. The next on his focus group is installations. Now, what an installation is, if you don't know it, is essentially it just combines his vision for different artwork pieces that sound or that that combine well with the sounds of ambient music. And this is where we start to see ambient installation albums. I'm going to go through these kind of quick because there's a lot to still talk about. So ambient installation albums, 1997's Extracts from Music for White Cube, Lightness, colon, Music for the Marble Palace, I Dormienti, Kite Stories, 1999, 2000, Music for Civic Recovery Center, 2001, Compact Forest Proposal, 2003, January 07003, colon, Bell Studies for the Cloak of the Long Now, and 2010, Making Space. So he did a lot of other work in between those solo outings, but he still makes time for them, even to this goddamn day. It's incredible. Now, he would also do video-specific work, and that's part of where these installations, uh, at least the visual component, is. So um, when he was doing video content, he didn't have a tripod. (laughs) So he would put it on its side, and he would just film like the sky line of New York City or you know something like that so it would just slowly it would just be video that he would combine with his ambient pieces that would just be like skylines and seeing clouds move by things like that and what he would have to do is put his camera on its side to show it or whatever was broadcasting that like a um, a TV or something like that and then that would give it its own kind of artistic appeal because it's it changes the preconceived notions of what this thing normally is or how it sits and it creates something very unique from it what he also did was what's called light sculptures later known as crystals uh, which is just color fields of differing lengths of time to create configurations by projecting internal light sources outward he also utilized speakers called speaker flowers and his video work was comprised into different exhibitions that was 2005's 14 video paintings that's what he later called them video paintings and 2006 77 million paintings and it was literally that so it was software uh, designed to create a series of paintings and combine them in different ways and that there was literally 77 million different combinations you would never see the same thing twice um and then a buck i want to pull you back in did you ever play the game spore no but i know that he did the soundtrack for it but uh i knew people that really were into that game um it was I think I was in grad school at the time when it came out and I just did not have the time to play it. Unfortunately. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. So he did the, he did the music and score for the game and the game is, is using a lot of these concepts, but in the game world where um, it was essentially a game based on evolution and you can mm-hmm. see these different kind of organisms develop not necessarily in real time, but you could um, see how they would grow, see how they would change a la degenerative music yeah and um and that's why environmental factors and that's how exactly yeah exactly he moved into uh, modern versions of this through the ios so the apple ios apps so and he specifically made it within the apple app format and that is 2008's bloom 2009's trope 2012's scape and 2016's reflection now if you're listening closely You noticed, you probably heard that I said Reflection 2017 for his studio album works. 
So what he did was he comprised um, of the generative music. So again, music that could never be reproduced two times the same way, probably an entire lifetime or more, maybe up to centuries, millions of years, something crazy. So think of astronomical numbers. What he did was he found two pieces that really worked together and he put those on an album, essentially. So there is a studio version of one gigantic long piece uh, or two pieces that were layered on top of each other. And that is the studio album of Reflection. But you can also listen to the app version of Reflection. That is just music that can be played for literally forever. Ever, ever. <laughs> ever, ever. Um, again, like I said, he has always done um, just art pieces as well. Remember at the heart and soul mm-hmm. of who this man is, is he's just an artist. He's an and artiste. What, and then you can look up uh, his contributions to what are called light boxes. And he, he even wanted to spread the love, pay things forward, and try to highlight other musicians that uh, were a lot like him. And he, he created his own uh, record company called obscure records now um there's so much more that we could probably talk about but we just don't have time because his career was so vast so let's bring it on home t-buck tell us why brian eno is one of the most important influential figures in art and music history well it's it's what we brought up earlier i think um you always know somebody is really important or has had a major impact when you don't even know the person or you haven't heard their name, but you definitely have heard something or seen their work has touched you or their work has, has impacted you in some way. Right. So I, I think that's what really is telling about this. And, you know, I think as history goes on, you know, and we'll look back at, you know, artists that are kind of on that Mount Rushmore of influencers for, especially the 20th century, obviously Beatles, you could put up there, you could put like Chuck Berry or, you know, these really influential just musicians musicians or just artists. Well, I think on the if I'm framing you this Mount as a music Rushmore thing, if just musician, if, if you're talking about music musicians, especially in 20th century, that really kind of formed a lot of what we we know now. I, I yeah, he would he would be up there. He yeah. would be up there. I I I almost am certain of it. Um, you, you could put like a you, there's a lot of arguments for other yeah. You could you could people, but I, I I don't think you you leave him out of conversation from an art perspective though. Man, you, you don't really see a lot of this. He's you don't really see this is like kind of a once in a generation person. Um, yeah. We, we talk about this a lot in our shows. Yeah. There will, there will, there was no one before that came before him that was like him. And I don't yeah. think there will be anybody like him after he's yeah. gone. Right. I mean, one and only. Oh yeah. Yeah. You, you, this is, this is a one and only, I mean, if you want to, you know, Salvador Dali, you know, if, if you want to kind of compare on the artist things uh, from that, you know, the 20th century, but I, I, I think of him more kind of a Renaissance kind of almost. Oh uh, yeah. Yes. level Agreed. of and i know that's that's saying a lot incredibly inventive too yeah yeah his innovation and, is is without parallel and and guys we just went through his his solo stuff pretty fast and i mean this has nothing to do with this collapse we only got an hour yeah production so <laughs> yeah you might be like oh well that's not a whole lot why why are you why are you giving so much praise it Go read his Wikipedia page and try to yeah, follow that. Jesus There's Christ. a ton of sub pages in each one, like the uh, Brian Eno's, you know, collaborative words. So yeah, there's a lot there. But basically, or you're just yeah. going to his discography page because yeah, he has, yeah, he has solo and, works versus 
production work versus just collab work versus yeah. and and be honest i i don't know i didn't know much about his other you know kind of media mart works uh pieces but just from a musical standpoint yeah he's it's he's right up there so that's that's it it's it's when you don't know that a person has impacted you that's when you really know if you don't know now you know now you know (laughs) guys thank you so much for listening but before we go you know we got a little more for you a little extra a little icing on the cake a little cherry on top for that sunday and that is with what we call the gem of the week. If you don't know what the gem of the week is, it's essentially something we like to talk about here at the end of our show, but it doesn't always fit into the scheme of the main episode. It could be on our radar in the last few days, the last few weeks, maybe a month. I don't know, but we got to give it to you so you guys can dig deeper. Mine is uh, not really related to Brian Eno or music. I saw a um, stand-up com- you know, uh, anybody that knows me, Buck knows this, I'm a big stand-up comedy fan and I saw this new special by comedian Drew Michael hmm. and Drew Michael um, if you haven't gotten into his work yet, he is essentially what I would like to call an existential comedian like the stuff he talks about is exactly the same stuff I like to talk about in my uh, writing and in the shows here. We become very philosophical when we do deep dives into deep cuts and with our uh, own version of literature, especially with the entropy sessions, I touch on a lot of existential concerns and fears and a lot of different things with technology, how we are as humans. Now, if you can think about what that would look like in a comedy set, Look no further than Drew Michael. So you can find him on HBO. And I think you will, if you're anything like us, and if you're anything uh, like the stuff we've talked about in our shows, I think you'll really appreciate his kind of comedy. Buck, what do you got for us? I'll have to check it out. I'm not familiar with that uh, that comedian. Existential so, comedy. My God. Oh, my God. Existential comedy. Yeah. It's, uh my whole life <laughs> uh what my gym is is something that's been out for a while but it they just started their final season and i don't think it gets enough uh praise or uh maybe respect that it it deserves but okay. i've been in love with this television show since it came out it's called the expanse maybe a lot of oh, you have heard my... about it did you know we're fans did you know that oh i didn't know you're fans too no my but... wife is a huge fucking fan yeah i and that's who got me into it that that belter accent <laughs> the the belta Lora. I love smart science fiction, and that might seem like an octomoron there or something like that. But final like, season's no, coming up. Yeah, final season. Um, but yeah, it is. I love the dynamics. Quick, just a quick overview. Basically, it's uh, f- several hundred years into the future. Uh, most of the Belt solar system has been. Com- uh, what I said, Beltalada. Beltalada. <laughs> uh, most of the solar system has been colonized, and you basically have three factions. You have Earth, um, which is ran by the United Nations. You have Mars, um, which has been colonized, and they're in the process of terraforming the planet. And then you have the Belters, which are basically the lower kind of social class. Um, they're basically like what we would blue collar like third, third or third world country, third world country you know, kind of yeah. co- social commentary. Yeah, like so people that are they feel like they're beneath. Or, you know, uh, or the, they, they definitely feel like they're beneath other people. The people um, that live on the planet. And they yeah. want their own independence. And, yeah. you know. And just the politics of that, because you're like, oh, well, 
you see a lot of these, uh, you know, like your Star Treks where, you know, you have this what's the what's the future. president's what's the what's the name of that female president oh, um, character remember. actor? Because I sound like it right now. Yeah, that's, you do. That's, that's, I sound like I've been smoking. Yeah, like I've been smoking. She for says 40 years. Yeah. yeah, she sounds well, like... not until the second or third season, because it wasn't picked up by Amazon yet. And they could. Cuss. Oh, yeah, that's right. It, it was, was still sci-fi. it was only on sci fi. Right. Yeah. But. Uh, guys, it's it's also based off a series of books, which I I haven't read, but I've been told that they are excellent as well. So I want to piggyback. I want to piggyback off of your gem. No, uh, you do, you, no, no, no. Well, no, you'll like it once you hear okay. it. And and if anybody is maybe a little into the expanse or is gonna get into it based off of your recommendation, here is good news: they are releasing a Telltale game based off the expanse really did you know that i've never played a telltale game so the telltale I, I know, games are yeah. famous for like the walking, walking dead, dead and it's essentially like yeah. an animated um choose your own adventure type of game you know yeah. it's it's very story driven it's very it's it's less gameplay um focused and heavy and more storytelling focused and there's going to be the expanse version of that buck that's cool no i want yeah. i want to see it I, i'm a little disappointed that they're not going to go but i understand why they're ending it now i know that the book series yeah. goes on for it's a expensive few more. too it's expensive to, to and then, shows. Uh, not to spoil the storyline but i kind of saw why it had it, it takes place a lot further in the future so having the same characters you know it would be hard to like recast or Maybe just like the Game of Thrones, like George R. Martin wanted 10 seasons. And remember, all of these other actors may want to move on. The showrunners may want to move on. They're not getting any younger. There's a lot at play, right? Yeah. And it's not the most... Like I said, it, it it's not being viewed probably as much as it should, but um I think you know, Jeff Bezos was just like, I like I like your show. Here's I like your show and here's a billion dollars that I can I give think away it's easily. awesome. We should send people into a penis shaped rocket into the into space. <laughs> guys, if you like that, you're gonna end course... it on that. <laughs> guys, if you like that, those kind of rockets, you can of course follow us at underscore Nova underscore day and day is D E and at Novo Day Media. Media. There, uh, you can find a lot of our other products, things of that nature. You can, of course, check us out on NovoDayProductions.com. There, you can find our work like the Entropy Sessions, Post Meridium, Adulteration, much more to come. Don't forget to like, subscribe, follow, hit that notification bell, do all of the things, rate and review. And until next time, be good to each other. And as always, good luck and Godspeed. We love you. Art of the Beholder is brought to you by Novo Day Productions, created and hosted by Novo Day and the Novo Day Collective. Facebook.com slash Novo Day Media, at Novo Day Media on Twitter and Instagram. Music by A Company, Facebook.com slash Aco Music 123, Aco on Spotify. Logo designed by Tom Justice, J-E-S-T-U-S, of thejusticecompany.com, and executively produced by Clayton Anderson. All rights reserved.